we dive into our passage for the day, I want to stop for just a second. And uh, um, we were having some technical difficulties earlier. So those of you that are on Facebook, we are really glad that you're with us. And I just want you to know that we are taking the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. And so if you want to go and grab some stuff, some juice, some crackers, whatever you have at home, um, just grab something that you can be a part of that with us today. Um, You can do that and uh, um, we will partake about with that a little bit later. So last week we began our series on the last words of Jesus, and we looked at a lot of scripture last week about um, as Jesus ended his public ministry, ended his public life, and we move into this, this, this day today that we're going to look at, we look into the last time that he spends with his disciples. Last week we looked at um, adoration and celebration, we looked at fascination with Jesus's message, but we also looked at how he was, there was a repudiation of his message as well. But as we progress further into what is called Holy Week, we now see Jesus is in private ministry. He's gone from public ministry, public life, into a time of privacy, and he's, he's with his disciples, and these are the people that are closest to him. These people go everywhere with him. These men gave up their lives, their livelihood, their families, everything to follow Jesus everywhere they went. And so it's a very intimate gathering that we see here in John chapter 13 is where we're going to spend most of our time. And what we see is we have this intimate gathering where Jesus is gathered around a table with his disciples and he's sharing a meal with them. But in that he's continuing to teach, he's continuing to instruct, he's continuing to tell what is going to happen and he's also continuing to bless them he's laying out the future he's laying out the future of not only what's going to happen to him but what the disciples need to be prepared for and how the disciples should live their lives and he does this not only by the words that he shares with them but more importantly by the actions that he does so if you look in john chapter 13 we see three things here in this passage we see humility We see holiness, and we see hypocrisy. The first part of John chapter 13 says this. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. As we continue on, it says, During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So here what we have is, is, is is an event that is very commonly known. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. This dinner, this last supper that Jesus was sharing with them, he was going to break bread with them. He was going to tell them that this was his last moments and that someone was going to betray him. He starts the supper by completely turning things upside down on him. Look at verse 1. It says, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave the world. And so as they were reclining around this table, and remember in those days they didn't have dining room tables. They laid on the ground and... um, uh, And 
they reclined around a shortened table. So, so they're all, just picture this, a short table, and they're all laying around, and you've seen these pictures. And Jesus gets up. I mean, he probably doesn't say much. He just gets up, he grabs a towel, and he grabs a water basin, and goes and begins to wash their feet. Begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, Jesus' action here is humility at its finest. Because in the culture of the day, when the homeowner and the guests would return to the house, it was the slaves of the home that would wash people's feet. So Jesus has taken himself from being the, the Lord, the teacher, the master, and has now taken upon the role of the slave of the household. Now I want to be real careful here when I use the word slave. Because the word used in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that denotes slaves doesn't come necessarily with the same connotation that we associate slavery with today. Because American slavery has, has changed our perception of it. The word that was used here in slavery um, uh, was more often for those that were in, in slave because they were, they were enslaved because they had a debt to a person. The, the Old Testament law actually makes the selling and stealing of humans a capital offense. So the scripture there condemns the American history of slavery. Most slaves at this time, like I said, were debt slaves. They owed someone money, and so they would offer labor in exchange for debt forgiveness. And so they usually worked for a period of time to pay off that debt, and they were usually treated very well and oftentimes were part of the household. They did life with their, their, their masters. They went places with them, they, they, you know, but they did work. And so even, so even though they were treated fairly well and they were, they were considered part of the household, they still were considered to be on a lower tier of society than their masters. They did the grunt work, the dirty work. They did the things that went behind the scenes to make sure the house functioned. And so when a homeowner or a guest would come in, they would sit down, take their, their, their sandals off, and the slaves would wash their feet, would make them clean again. And so in this context, for Jesus to be the one to wash the disciples' feet, he's taking them out of that leader-teacher role, taking himself out of that, to what would culturally of the time be considered beneath him so that he could wash their feet. He's humbling himself. This humility here that Jesus shows is a foreshadowing of what's going to take place on the cross just a few days later. Jesus was going to bear the sin and shame of the world and carry it to the cross and that's the ultimate act of humility, to take on the shame of someone else. Look at what Peter said, said many years later in, in 1 Peter 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So think about this. The act of humility that Jesus shows here has a profound impact on Peter later in life. To the point that Peter recognizes that humility is of the highest order. 
So Jesus is washing the feet, and when we get to verse 6, he gets to Peter. So, so we, can, we can infer here that Jesus has already washed several disciples' feet. When I first heard this story and, and read this story and everything, I thought, well, Jesus gets up and goes right to Peter, and Peter does what he does. But no, if you read it, it, it says he gets to Peter. So I think he's already washed some, some of the disciples' feet. So, G, so Peter is, is witnessing what's going on, and he's seeing what's going on. And in verse 6, he gets to Peter, and look at what, what happens. Peter says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, or not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. I love Peter. In fact, Peter is quickly becoming probably my favorite character aside from Jesus in the entire Bible. Because with Peter, I see myself in him. In Peter, I see a lot of us in him. Peter has no filter. And Peter's not really good at reading the situation or reading the room. Peter just dives right in and sticks his foot in his mouth a lot. And so, so Peter doesn't really understand what's happening in this moment. And so I was thinking about this, and it reminded me of when I was in college. And when I was in college, my classes always had to have some people that weren't really good at reading the room. And some of you might relate with this when I get to it. Some of you might be the people that couldn't read the room. Others of you might be the people that were like, come on, get a clue. So oftentimes... These students, and, and, and these students were what we called non-trads, non-traditional students. So they weren't the 18 to 22-year-old student. They were generally older than the majority of us. Many of them were parents, or were my parents' age at the time. And due to different life circumstances, they either were just starting their collegiate career or they were going back to school to change careers or finish their studies or whatnot. So they were in a different world than I was in. I'm 19, 20 years old. They're 45, sometimes 50, sometimes 60 years old. And I want you to hear me on this. I have the utmost respect for those type of students. The courage that it takes to go sit in a classroom with students half your age and contribute and be a part of it and walk among them, that's bravery. To walk on a college campus and do that. But these students were different. The right terminology, the correct terminology, the, the appropriate terminology for me here is they were more mature and they were more wise and they were more focused on school. So they were better students than me. But when I was 20 years old, they were a pain in the neck. And this is why. Because it never failed that when one of my professors about halfway through class said, That's it for the day. Anyone have any questions? What happened? Boom! You're going to get 45 minutes free from class, and they have 45 minutes worth of questions to ask. Or, if the professor would cancel class, they'd get upset because they paid to be in that class. 
I'm like, come on. I'm paying for the piece of paper at the end of four years. It was totally annoying at the time, but as I've grown, I've realized they were right. And I think what annoyed me more than anything is because I knew they would be responsible and I wasn't. And as I've thought more and more about this, here's what I've realized about them. They were all in. I was just there to get a degree. They were all in. They'd experienced life. They were coming back to, to, to make themselves better, and so they were all in. They asked the questions. They took notes on everything the professor said and probably even recorded it so they could listen to it again when they got home. I had some students in my class that there'd be eight textbooks for the class, and they'd read all eight before the first day of class because they were all in. And this is what I see in Peter. Peter is not real good understanding the room. Peter is that college student that when Jesus would say, are there any more questions, Peter's hand wouldn't just sheepishly go up. It would shoot up and be like, I got a bunch. And I would not be surprised if some of the disciples were like, come on, Peter, stop. You know? And, And so he was, this is the thing, Peter was all in. And we see it. When he says, you shall never wash my feet, and Jesus answers, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter says, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head. He says, if I'm going to jump in, I'm going all the way in. That's Peter's life. Peter jumps out of a boat to go to Jesus. He jumps all in. And so... Peter, while he doesn't understand what's going on, he sees that in Jesus' humility, Jesus is showing him what holiness is. In the act of humility that Jesus does, Jesus is saying, this is how you become holy. You know, I talked about in those days, people would come home and the slaves would wash their feet. Well, the cultural context of the day as well is when they would bathe, they would bathe at a public bathhouse. So they'd go down the street to a building that, that had all sorts of bathhouses. If you've studied any of Roman culture, you know exactly what these look like. And, and they would go and they would bathe. And then they would walk back to their house. And so by the time they got, a, they got home, they've already washed their whole body. Their body is clean. It's just their feet that are dirty, Right? Because they've walked along the dusty roads, everything else should be clean except for their feet. So they would have their feet washed. What Peter doesn't recognize immediately is that what Jesus is saying here, when Peter says, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash all of me. Jesus' response is a verse so rich and full of promise and hope. Jesus says to him, The one who has bathed you, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet because he's completely clean. And you are clean. Jesus is saying, Peter, you know the truth. You're redeemed. You're clean. This is a picture of the Christian life. When we begin to follow Christ, when we give our hearts over to him, our lives to him, and ask for the forgiveness of sins... We are washed clean. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we are a new creation. This is part of what we're talking about when we do baptism. Baptism is a symbol of the inward decision of, of 
the inward decision that we've made to follow Christ and to ask for the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing and the new creation that he's made in our hearts. But when we go under the water, it's a symbolic act of us being washed clean. When we go under the water, it's just like when Christ went into the ground with death. When Christ took all those sins into death. And then you hear us say, only to, to raise to walk in the newness of life. So when you come out of that water, you are clean. Symbolically. That water has nothing special about it other than it tells the world that Jesus has done something great in your life. When one is baptized, that's, a, that's that symbolic act. And because of this, because that we have been washed clean, we don't have to be washed clean again. We just need our feet washed. In fact, Jesus tells the disciples here, go and wash others' feet. Go and share this message with them. When they're made clean, wash their feet. Do it in an act of love. Do it in an act of service. The other thing that comes out of this is when he's saying, you're washed clean, you only need your feet washed. He's telling you, the good old Baptist line here, once saved, always saved. He's saying, you're not going to lose it. Your salvation is secure. He's telling us, Quit asking Jesus into your heart. Because you do it over and over again. I've already redeemed you. I've washed you clean. I just need to wash your feet. I've had many moments in my time as a student pastor that kids have come down to make the same decision over and over again. I had one camp where a kid came down five nights in a row to get saved. And we're like, you're already there. Like, we can walk through more, you know, talk more with you about it. But you made the decision already. You don't have to keep coming in. You don't have to quit. You don't have to keep asking Jesus into your heart. He's already there. What you need to do is you need to begin to grow. And you need to begin to learn. And since, since we're clean and we don't need the full bath, we just need a touch-up. You know, you go get your car washed, and a lot of these fancy car washes in the bigger cities, they offer rain insurance that you pay a certain amount, and if it rains within the next seven days, you get your car washed again for free. Because what's it doing? It's touching it up. It's just clean. It's not a deep clean. It's touching up. When we, we are clean and we don't need to bathe, we can live in that hope and that assurance But what we also have to realize is that we still sin. And in order for us to pursue this path of holiness that Jesus is talking about, we have to have those feet cleaned. Because if we want to walk in holiness, our feet can't be dirty. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Is when you confess to me on a daily basis, if you confess your sins, if you grow closer to me, your walk with me is going to include your feet being washed I've already forgiven your sins I've washed you clean I've made you new but I'm going to keep cleaning you I'm going to keep cleaning your feet I'm going to purify your heart more so that you can continue to walk towards me into closer communion with me you know the Lord's Supper is also called communion and that means we are together with Christ. That means we are joined with him. But Jesus also says at the end of verse 10, 
and you are clean, but not every one of you. Verse 11 says, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. We all know that in this passage, Jesus is talking about Judas. Because what is about to happen in the next few hours, Judas will leave, go sell Jesus out to the authorities, and come back and have Jesus arrested. Judas is going to portray Jesus. Last week, we saw that Judas questioned Mary's actions because he would have liked to pocket some of that money for himself. He was living a double life, a hypocrite. And what we see here is the hypocrisy goes one step further because he's living one way publicly, but internally, he was something completely different. And Jesus recognizes that and calls it out. And if you look at some of the other gospels' accounts of this, you will see a conversation that takes place between the disciples. And they begin to question which one of them is the greatest. They're struggling internally with pride because they're disciples. And Jesus already knows that one of them is not who they say they are. Jesus says, whoever I... Whoever dips their bread with me will be the one to betray me. And then Judas does, and he says, Judas, go and do what you need to do. So Judas Judas goes out and performs the ultimate act of betrayal to give Jesus up to the authorities who want to take his life. But if you look at this passage really close, this passage isn't about Judas betraying Jesus. That's in there. But this is about Jesus teaching Peter. Because Peter is all throughout this. And like I said, we are all like Peter. We're curious, but we're oblivious. We want to dive all in without any thought. Peter questions throughout. And even though he is really trying hard to live according to the way his commands... To walk with Jesus everywhere he goes, Peter and us can never walk exactly like Jesus did. And Jesus tells him that. Jesus says, Peter, even though you're doing all of this stuff, you're going to fail. Peter says, no, 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 no. And you see it here in verse 36. Simon Peter said, after Jesus has talked through uh, uh, the new commandment that he's going to leave and he's no longer going to be with them, Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answers him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. That last little point, you will follow afterward, is very important as we head into the next verse. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter's going all in. He's going all in with Jesus. And Jesus answers, will you lay down your life for me? What a question. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Even though Peter is walking step for step with Jesus, as close as he can, sold out, all in. 
he's still going to deny him. But if you continue, and we will look at this in a few weeks, Jesus says there, In verse 36, you will follow afterward. In John chapter 21, Jesus redeems Peter, restores Peter, brings him back into communion and says, I forgive you. And not only that, I'm going to use you more than you've ever dreamed of. See, Jesus showed Peter humility. Jesus shows Peter that there's going to be hypocrisy in our lives. Jesus shows holiness both in the now and in the redemption. Now this story continues, and we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 22, because in this, there's another element of the story that's of great importance. And in Luke chapter 22, we see the institution of the Lord's Supper. And you will also hear me call it communion. Because that's what it was. It was a time of communion with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 22, it says in verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us. Now all of this, if you read the Gospels, you've got to realize that each of the four synoptic Gospels, or each of the four Gospels, are written to a different audience. And so not all of the Gospels contain everything that the other Gospels contain. Not all of the Gospels contain it exactly the same way or in the exact same timeline. And so Luke doesn't bring up the foot washing. So here we are prior to the foot washing, getting ready for the Last Supper. So they said to him, where will you have us prepare? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And then here we get in verse 14. It says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's telling them what's about to happen. He's about to undergo the greatest suffering any man has ever known. He says, I want to be with you and eat a meal with you before this. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. All of this in remembrance of what Jesus was about to do. And so as we enter into a time of taking the Lord's Supper today, I want us to take a few minutes and I want us to remember what Jesus has done. So we're going to show a video and I want you to watch it and just reflect. Reflect on the great things that he has done for you.
And after that, we will partake in the Lord's Supper together. And, 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 and our belief is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted and believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again and you are forgiven, then you are free to take that with us. Um, and, uh, um, and if not, we just ask that you observe. And, um, but I want you to watch this video and, and take a few moments to prayerfully remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. You might need to confess some sin during that time. You might need to recognize that you're not like Peter and you're not ready to jump all in. But God is calling you to do that today. So watch this video and just remember. celebrate Easter not because he went to the cross but we celebrate Easter because he rose from the dead and because of that we have life so in the pews in front of you you'll see the, the elements it's, it's, it's a combo deal um, the juice and the, the bread if you will take that and uh, um, we will take it together in just a moment as we prepare and uh, I'm going to have Jed Tedder one of our deacons come up and pray over the elements and then we will take them together We love you and we thank you for all that you do. We are truly, truly grateful, our Lord, for the sacrifice that you made for us. God, your broken body, your bloodied body, um, we take this wine and this bread today in remembrance of that and say that we are truly grateful, God. We live because you died for us, Lord, on that cross. And for that, we are truly grateful. We love you. We thank you. And we honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 says, And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Heavenly Father, Scripture says, taste and know that I am good. And when we partake of communion with you, the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of that goodness through the broken bread and the spilt wine that you sacrificed for us, Lord. pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning that if they are seeking for an answer seeking for hope that they find that in the fact that you sent your son to die on the cross for us because you loved each and every one of us so much you loved the world so much that you made the ultimate sacrifice and sent your son to the cross so that he might die for our sins be buried and rise again three days later. And I pray that that truth penetrates the hearts of those that need you so much, Lord. We remember that sacrifice during this season, Lord, but we also remember the victory that comes in you. We celebrate that. We love you, Jesus. time of response this morning. If, if God is speaking to you this morning, I will be down front. If you want to know more about what this relationship with Jesus looks like, I will be down front. And uh, if you want to make this church your home, I will be here to talk to you as well. Um, if you just want to come pray or you want to kneel or sit in your pew and pray, um, uh, we that is perfectly acceptable as well. And I recognize that coming down front might be a big, bold step for you. And if you're not ready to do that, but you just want to talk to me and have a little bit more information, I'll be back in the Welcome Center at the end of the the service um, to do that. But we're going to have a time of response. So if you'd stand with me, worship team's going to play. And uh, this is your time to, to, to respond to what God is doing.
your son for redemption would pass for being a Southern Baptist church and being part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Is we, there's, uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention has a couple different mission arms, and one is the, the International Mission Board, and, the other, and that goes all around the world. The other is the North American Mission Board, and that goes strictly here uh, to, to the North American continent. And so um, every Easter, we have the Annie Armstrong 